This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Good Things, the show where we speak to good people who are doing good things. I'm Darshan Johan. Dignity for Children Foundation is an NGO based in Kuala Lumpur which aims to provide education and care to underprivileged and marginalised children in the country. Through various initiatives, the foundation strives to empower these children and equip them with the necessary skills and knowledge to break the cycle of poverty and build a better future. So joining me on the show today are the two co-founders of the Work at Dignity for Children, Reverend Elisha Sadvinder, as well as Patrina Shi. Welcome to the show. How are you all? Oh, thank you. We are doing Great. well. Thank yeah. you, Dash. Thank you. Okay, let's start with you, Patrina. Um, tell me about um, Dignity for Children. I know I gave an introduction about it, but give me the details. What is the organization about and what work do you all do there? Well, thank you, Darshan, for this opportunity. Uh, we do a lot of things. <laughs> the best is to come and see for yourself. But mm-hmm. of course, this year is a, a very special year for us. This is our 25th years of educating the poor and marginalised children. Mm-hmm. We are actually the largest education centre that provides for urban poor children in Malaysia. Our program spans, you know, from uh, providing uh, education to early childhood for children as young as uh, two to six years old, right up to upper secondary program, uh, youth ages 16 to 18. Right. You know, we also have our secondary programs Mm -hmm. and the upper secondary program is a bit unique because we marry uh, what you call academics with vocational training. So it's skill sets because not everybody comes on board academically inclined. So rather than re-marginalize them, we've created a program. We bring this basic training. uh, We expose them, even uh, this whole new farm that we have, Dignity uh, Farm in Bantong. So it has these various facets. So when you come Dignity, it's quite comprehensive uh, for anyone at any level wanting to move forward. So yeah, so that's what we, we do that way. So what gets us really passionate, our bay, is really to create this transformative uh, classroom without walls. Mm. Yeah, true. It is through our social enterprises and the farm school, like what uh, Elisha mentioned earlier, that students get the opportunity to learn in real-life setting. And it is through solving all these, uh, a lot of issue and problem in the real-life setting that they begin to take shape, you know, um, that form critical thing in their life. And the most importantly, it's giving them a passion of knowing what to do in their lives. Yeah. Right. You know, when, when she says, you know, out without walls, right. because many a times education has been confined to a classroom and uh, we define learning in a very different way. I think given the day and age that we are in, we can't do that mm. because uh, people need to have skill sets in their hands. We need to do various things. So it's developing what we call uh, transformative education nurture and develop what we would like to call world changes, you know, ones who will really benefit peacemakers, I call them, mm-hmm. and, and cross all kinds of boundaries, ethnicities, religion, and say we want to build a better tomorrow and not just get stuck in a cliché. Mm-hmm. So what was the inspiration um, behind establishing this foundation? Because um, it has been running for many years already. 25 years. 25 years. <laughs> like yeah, that's more yeah. than two decades. Um, yeah, that's oh, a long time. Why, why, what's the inspiration behind us establishing this foundation? Wow. 
It was 25 years ago mm-hmm. when I was driving to Sentu in one of the small lanes that um, we stumbled upon two very thin children, age oh. 11 and 12. And they were barely walking, trying to manage two full buckets of water each, you know. So we stopped the car and then we helped these two children, you know, carry the water back home. Of course, the house is uh, very run down and mm-hmm. things like that. And uh, we were greeted by a single mom with more kids, you know, in the house. And uh, we asked where could we settle the bucket and we took it to the kitchen and realized there was, because it was already quite late evening and there was no food. We didn't mm. see any food on the dining table and there was nothing cooking on the stove. And my friend and I then we say that we got to come back with some roti chanai. So it was just out of this family to support the kids. You know, Dan was 11, 12, 8 years old, 4 years old, just to support these children that we started the work. And, uh, you know, and often people say, uh, you know, what did you, why did you start it? Yeah. I, I must be very honest. We never had the intention to start anything. It is this uh, stumbling upon the poor mm-hmm. and realize, hey, uh, I need to live for something more than myself, more than what I wake up for every day. And uh, so the foundation uh, years later was given to us as a shell. And hence, we are the ones who begin to engage and build the work through it. But the whole inspiration came was this. The poor have always been criticized, marginalized. They've always had the shorter end of the stick in education. Mm-hmm. Good education is expensive. And if I can say, we have the first Montessori for the poor in the whole of Southeast Asia. Right. Montessori is synonymous with the rich, but we have one for the poor. So it's returning that, that dignity, that self-esteem. Trina and I will be very honest. We never set out to say we're going to do this. It is smack running in with them and the question arising in our hearts what will you do? Right. Why education, though? Because there are a lot of um, different ways you could have tackled the issue of marginalized groups, of poverty. Why education? Education is powerful, my dear friend. Right. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. When it's served at the right platform, it breaks the poverty cycle. It empowers, it enriches, it tells them you... It's, again, a lot of cliches, isn't it? You can really shoot for the stars. Right. And we have stories after story. Of course, we have the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> but we have amazing stories. I mean, Dash, you needed money to go to a good place to study. Absolutely. And imagine those who don't have that capacity. Mm-hmm. So education cannot be charity. I think we need to re-engineer the thought we need to rethink that it cannot be charity it's it's a human right yes what would you say is your philosophy of education well I would say that what we're trying to do is not so much that (coughs) when the kids come to the centre it's not like I know it all you're coming to get more knowledge from me instead it is out of deep respect for the kids they come you know from such a difficult background and yet they they are such a champion they come came through it and we always say that you know it's it's best to we should 
learn from the kids rather than the kids learn from us. So for dignity, it's really a student-directed learning. And uh, the, t- the t- teacher's role is really to just support and guide the student. We can't force a child to learn when they are not ready developmentally. Um, we are just so happy, so amazing to see so many kids, you know, mm-hmm. coming and they're taking it at their own pace, at their own interest. And uh, they're, they're just so amazing to see so many of them transform, feeling more confident, love learning, love coming to, to the centre. And the other thing is also very important that we're very, very mindful to do is to create a safe and non-judgmental environment. Normally, we tell our kids, it's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to make mistakes. Every one of us make mistakes. Our focus is not on the summative evaluation, but more on formative evaluation, right. in mm. which we would prefer our students to discover their own weaknesses, their own mistakes, rather than us teachers telling, you know, hey, this is right and that is wrong. So yeah. we are just so happy to see that kids actually able to learn Anything that you put to uh, give them under the sun, they, they're just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> because they're resilient, you know. And I think you just need to tap that and draw that out. So, as what as Petrina has talked about the philosophy, we must move away from the traditional structures. I know people will disagree with it, mm-hmm. but it's right, wrong, fail, pass. And then we stigmatize them. You know, how many times did Winston Churchill fail? Uh, Nelson Mandela. What was his university, Roman University? It's a prison. Mm-hmm. But yet, it must be transformative education. That's the philosophy. How many students do you all have right now? <laughs> uh, 2,600 kids. 2,600. That is more than some schools. Like yes. Actually, yes, how, yes. I mean, how do you manage that? And more importantly, how did you all get to 2,600 students? I enjoy every moment of sanity. Insanity. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> oh, I, the need is really huge out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really hard to tell children that they have no access to education. Yeah. It's really heartbreaking to do that. Yeah. And we do our best, whether to get one classroom at a time, uh, to get one donor at a time, or one teacher at a time. And yeah, to today we have 2,200 at our Centu campus and another 400 assessing from Klang, from Penang, Sabah, Sarawak, to, uh, to our in-house learning videos. Right. <laughs> you talk about 2,200 people in your, on your campus, right? Yeah, and yeah, you didn't yeah. start off with 2,200. It started no, no, with just, one. So talk to me about how it went from one to 2,200. Like, well, <laughs> talk to me about the, the journey. <laughs> the journey. <laughs> we started first uh, taking about uh, 10 kids coming mm-hmm. to learn ABC pretty much from the community. These are the kids neglected with very little parental involvement in their life. And most homes don't even have books or pencil, you know. Um, yeah, so so just coming and provide that exposure to children, exposure to written words, you know, it's unthinkable in this day and age. Mm-hmm. How can you be illiterate, right? Mm. Yeah. So kids learn really fast, you know. And uh, we have kids coming not able to speak English. And the next 
three months or six months, they are already speaking English, and then maybe call their parents, and you have this six years old coming to the phone, and you know translating for the parents, you know for the teacher, yeah. Yeah, you know again, the the beginning was going to the kids' place because right. they were caring, and that intervention they couldn't read, they couldn't write. Then we learned that nutrition plays a part, yeah. development. Uh, absent fathers, absent parents. Uh, so we went down to the squatter community. Petrina will go and play badminton on the mud ground with the with the mothers. Right. I would go and chat with the dads and say, how can we work together to see your kids turn around? And some of them were still managing in school, just barely. So I started going to the school with the parents' permission. I started signing their report cards. We took them home. So the intervention once became surrogate parents, if I can say that, if I can right. use that word. And that intervention began to reverberate that information in the community. Oh, there's a padre there, you know, he'll help your kids and get them out of trouble, you know. <laughs> so going to the school and dealing with issues and after school, taking them in, doing mentoring programs with them, getting in them out of the cyber cafe, doing various things with them. So... Intervention really took place and we started seeing transformation. So earlier on, we would have to go and get the kids. Today, we have a waiting list of a thousand kids. Wow. And uh, we can't cope with it. Right. But it started with this little seed. Uh, and I say, you know, I think we were faithful with it. Then we had different people who heard of it, came on board, volunteered. And Petrina and the team kept tweaking the program, tweaking the program, tweaking the program, because saying, this is what are the, we were started saying, we want to give them the best education. We don't want to give them just because they are from the marginalized community. We just give you a bandaid. Yeah, you know, just have the simple one, two, three, okay, go home. Right. You've done your good deed for the day. No, we, we felt that, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to discriminate them. We're not going to be biased. So one of our dreams is building an Oxford for the poor, you know. So that's how the journey, right. the, it was never planned. We just did it as we came. As it came to us, we crossed those bridges as we came to them. And uh, different people came on board, helped out, helped us think through. Petrina put herself through education, through master's degrees, working through that. And uh, <laughs> We have about uh, 180 staff and Fantastic. mostly teachers. Right. And uh, we also ask, you know, for a lot of volunteers, mm -hmm. students who take their gap year, please come and join us. It's not easy, but we're no, getting there. It's not yeah. managing it daily. It's the team. I always say it's the team that makes it happen. And maybe I can give a great shout out. Hey, Dignity Team, thank you guys. You guys are wonderful. The yeah, teachers, the, you know, the, all of them, the staff, the workers, they are quintessential. They are the heroes. On the show with me today is Reverend Elisha Satvinder and Patrina Shee, co-founders of the Work at Dignity for Children Foundation. Good things will continue after the break. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Good Things. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Reverend Elisha Satvinder and Patrina Shee, co-founders of the Work at Dignity for Children Foundation. So, Patrina... You guys have been doing this for like 25 years. 25 years. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges faced by urban poor children in the Klang Valley? 
I would say that lack of parental involvement is definitely one of the biggest challenges. Okay. Um, mm. Students who normally do well academically and they do have a lot of responsibility <clears throat> in school, normally if you look at them, they have very consistent and strong parental support. But like what I say earlier on, for the urban poor children, they don't even have pencil, eraser, right. you know. And for them is that um, because you don't have this, and therefore school success is definitely, it's almost near impossible for them. So for us is to find ways to support it. Our teacher has to be more than teachers, definitely, Mm. you know, to meet this gap. Uh, The teachers now become their main carer. Children who come, they have not eaten the whole day, you know. Our center is their first meal of the day. So so one of the ways we do it is that we have, normally we have two teachers to a class, mm-hmm. and these two teachers were to teach all the subjects. Right. And they stay with the class for the duration of two to three years. So they follow the same group of students for mm-hmm. the next two to three years. Why we do this? Because we want the student to relate to the teacher as a carer first. By doing this, we are better able to see things, right. to support the kids. Yeah, yeah. because they become counsellors, mm. confident. You see, we also have a mental health unit. So then the teachers work with that department and say, this kid needs further intervention. So... Uh, I would say dignity is very comprehensive in many right. ways. We have mental health, we have art therapy, play therapy. We work with different universities. They send their uh, their psychologists, their counselors. So we we develop this whole program. So it's also to keep the teachers sane, you know. <laughs> <laughs> because again, education dash education mm-hmm. is expensive. Right. I think the whole issue, the challenges, is that there must be equal opportunity for education. Education cannot be charity. We cannot say this one kid broke through and had this one great scholarship come. What about the thousands then? What about the thousands? So I think in the city, the challenge is quality education. And we have the first Montessori for the poor again. So because we invest in it, we believe in it. Right. Do you think that people, um, sometimes they, they have this this detachment, right? Because mm. they will see a success story about this guy, rags to riches, came from right. super poor family and then now he's some CEO somewhere. And they'll say, see, everybody, you put your heart to it, you can do it. But people don't realize that there are mm. structural things. This person broke out broke of the out. system, yes. of the, of the definitely, cycle, definitely. right? But most people are stuck in a cycle they, they can't stuck. break out. Yeah. And again, we cannot just take, not everybody is going to be a Lionel Messi, but how about having somebody just play in the arena? So again, we discriminate success. We narrow down success. We narrow down this whole breaking of the cycle and says, how about inspiring them just to get to college? Right. Inspiring them to get a decent job, get into business. You make enough, you take care of your family, you break that cycle, you contribute back to society. I think that must be a shift in people's thinking. That must be the shift. Education must be transformative. It must affect every strata of society. And hence, we will see community, society, transformation take place. Also, like you say that the structural 
you're not on the equal footing, right? right? And then just the thought came to me is that you know one of our boy went out to play one day and he gave his life for he died actually for he, a time round. of playing. Mm. It's really it sounded really not fair at all. Why would some kids have access to um, sports and to games. sport and some kids have access to education, whereas the poor. You had to really fight to get a good feel, right. you know. You had to really fight to just get into a good class or access to um, learning materials. So it's really, yeah. really... She, she mentioned yeah. that, if I can add to that, we started Faisal Cup because the death of our boy, Faisal, picking up a miserable 20 ringgit ball in this, you know, river drain kind of thing. And remember coming out of the mortuary with Petrina and she said, it's so unfair. In the memory of Faisal, we started it. Just three teams. Mm -hmm. Today, we have 158 teams. And you know what? Lionel Messi, they closed, us, closed down the stadium. My kids met Lionel Messi. That's fantastic. Yeah. If anybody wants to buy his signed jersey, call, call me. <laughs> for, for a simple fee of a million bucks, you know, something like that. Yeah. But can you imagine the kids meeting Messi? Yeah, yeah. But it started with the death of a boy who didn't have a playing field. And today, in memory of that... We have 150 over teams playing this year. And you know what? It's a carnival. It's celebration. It's had sad beginnings. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the main programs? You've touched on it throughout, but perhaps you can give some examples. Describe some of the main programs and initiatives that your organization runs that addresses the challenges. Our main program is, of course, education. So we have uh, 350 children in our early years program. Mm -hmm. And we have slightly over 1,000 students assessing mm -hmm. our primary program, primary one to primary six, okay. and another 600 <coughs> so student in the secondary program. So other than that, we also have a Dignity College where we provide the 16 to 18 years old. They are not on the academic track, but... We provide them two years training for employability. My, my passion in the part of our programs mm -hmm. is what we call transformational enterprises. Right. Some people call it, you know, social enterprises, but it's skill sets. We have about 245 kids in it, you know. And uh, so at 15, 16, 17, they learn these different skills, woodwork, coding. We have the cafe, Eat X Cafe, come and eat there. Uh, <laughs> we have hairdressing, uh, we have sewing, we have multiple bakery, all kinds of things. But the kids work with adults, professionals as well. But that's where they have to solve problems. They have to think about how to run it as a business. What they're doing at 15, 16, they're solving problems. When they come out at 17, they're ahead of the curve. At the end of the day, then they can choose which trajectory they want to get, take in and go for it. Right. So, so we have that. So uh, then we have the farm. It, it started very simple. Okay. It actually started with called, uh, you know, travel and learn. Right. And this is about, what, seven years ago, Ben? Seven, eight years ago, where the kids go away okay. for about a month or two months, just with a few teachers, and they go away. And that's when they also get their handphones taken away. And uh, they, they have to work with people in their classmates, different ethnicities, different religions. So they have the few classes that they would do, but they are learning social skills, peacemakers. How do you work with other people who have not the same persuasion of faith as you? Mm -hmm. So they have to cook for each other. 
So can you imagine in a group, you have 30, 40, but you break up into groups of five or six, mm. and very intentionally, all five different religions. Right. One eats beef, the other doesn't eat beef. One eats pork, the other doesn't. How are you going to cook with for somebody else being mindful? So that's the seed of the farm. Mm -hmm. And what happened was they started learning, realizing that, yeah, you, you actually are not like me, but we can always meet on this common ground and this common purpose. They were huffing and puffing, screaming and crying, growing. They didn't want to go. They were crying to come back. You know why? They had made amazing friends, <laughs> lifelong friendships. From that, it evolved to the whole farm. Uh, and then Petrina actually anchors that quite a bit. Yeah, basically, it's, if I for a teenager, what would be a suitable classroom environment? Right. <laughs> and then if it, in a nutshell, you could say that the farm is a very uh, suitable environment because kids... Teenager love challenges, mm -hmm. and it has to be anchored in the real life. So kids actually, when you get to the farm, they are using chanko for the first time. You know, uh, <laughs> they are using the saw for the first time. That's amazing. And they are doing this not in a play play manner. You know, in in a real life, they're making something and uh, learning to be a community, to to be more mindful of each other, your words, how uh, and. Trust me, for teenager to be away one month without phone is a huge challenge. Oh, yeah, teenagers, yeah. I don't think yeah. I can go one month without, yeah. without mummy's cooking. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and, yes. and then the, the mom came back yeah. and one asked us, what did you do to our kid? I thought, oh dear, what happened? Never entered the kitchen. Now enter kitchen, help me cook. <laughs> I'm like, yes, okay, we got it done. So, uh, uh, you know, we're very passionate about mm -hmm. that because... Again, education is the whole person. Right. You can be brilliant, but you can be a real brilliant crook. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, no, you, you need the values there as well. You need yeah. the, so they learn. So yeah. character is shaped mm -hmm. through the enterprises, the farm. So they learn. They learn how to make their own beds. Mm -hmm. They are mindful of space, cleanliness, everything. So you educate the entire person. Right. As I understand from toddler to primary, um, the Montessori method mm -hmm. of education is used. Um, what exactly does that mean? Wow, that's a lot to talk about. Uh, <laughs> but um, just to summarize, right. Montessori education is a child-centered education okay. in which students direct their own learning at their own pace. Uh, learning progress when the student, you know, used a lot of working with the various material where we Montessorian would use the word like developing concept from concrete experience to abstract thinking. Right. And uh, most importantly, the classroom is actually a community of learners. And each class is made up of children uh, uh, in a span of three years age group. Like you have one class that is from four years old to six years old. Another class is seven years old to nine years old, and another class ten to twelve years old. So you don't really have separation by age, the Montessori classroom, and you will never find an empty classroom of table chairs and ch uh, whiteboard. <laughs> <Why not? laughs> but normally classrooms are filled with amazing 
teaching materials and which are normally beautiful. Yeah. That's wonderful. You gotta come and see. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to come, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you share a I'm sure there are many throughout throughout the years, but oh, can you share yeah. one uh, success story or inspiring moment wow. from your work? Um, uh, yes, like you're right. So many you know, this one kid came to us okay. in Malaysian. Mm-hmm. His father actually had chucked him at the cyber cafe, told him, Hey go, here's five ringgit, but he was gonna leave the family. Oh dear. So left the kid there, abandoned him. So that guy finished whatever few ringgit he was, his games he's finished. No dad. So stayed on. Then the cyber cafe guy realized what happened. So let him just sleep in front there. The shop next door saw it. So kind of helped him out, let him, uh, you know, eat something. But then he realized he also can't take care of this guy. So got a bit worried, you know. So dropped him off to an orphanage. Hmm. So he grew up in the orphanage, actually, for a few years. Right. And through some uh, newspaper that was doing a program, a, a story, they took out pictures, photographs. The mother's neighbor saw that, saw him, and she said, I think that's your son. Went back. True enough, that's the son. How many years? Oh, uh, but five years. Uh, five years. Can you imagine that? The boy completely lost. Reconciled back. Can hardly read, can hardly write. Heard of dignity came. So <laughs> you can imagine his uh, capacity. Right. So he came to us close to 12, and but he had a liking for cooking. Hmm. He graduated. He had a full scholarship in KDU to do culinary arts. He has interned in French restaurants. The guy just blossomed. Yeah. We have a girl who just lost her father due to COVID. And, um, you know, now today she graduated from the employability program and is working in our sewing enterprise. Mm. And she was just recalling her story. Without the help of Dignity, she would have dropped out mm. of school. And it's really tough for young girls once they drop out with no skill. They more susceptible to early marriage as well. So for her, we are just so happy. Not only is she developing a tremendous, uh, a good skill, but uh, she's also with the salary that she received today, she's supporting her younger brother through school as well. So That's that's an amazing story. Amazing. It's really, it really warms my heart. Getting goosebumps listening (laughs) to it. Fantastic work. And, and, and the thing is, you guys are doing fantastic work, but as, um, you know, most NGOs and, and non-profits, you'll probably need support. So how, how can individuals or all corporations get involved and support your organization? Not probably. We need a lot of support. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I will start with a few. I would say sponsor a child. You know, right. you could do with a simple monthly pledge of maybe 30 ringgit, 50 ringgit, 100 ringgit. Support a child, but just don't do a one-off. If, if you want to do one-off, of course, we, we, we welcome it. But see a child through the whole year. Mm-hmm. Walk the child through that whole year. See that person succeed. And at the end of that year, celebrate the child's success. You know, uh, however he has, he or she has done it. Uh, for the corporates, sponsor a program. 
you know uh, that we do peace camps where we learn them how teach them how to come on the common ground uh, cyber security cyber safety we have camps all the time all that needs money we we actually have we charter 14 buses to bring kids from all over the city all over klang valley that is a huge expense uh, support our social enterprises i would say to the corporates celebrate all your birthdays there uh, you know uh, order all for all your corporate dog gifts whatever it is mm-hmm. come to our sewing place and order the lanyards and all kinds of things your hari raya gifts uh, you can do so much celebrate uh, order food from our cafe uh, you know there's so much that can be done donate we need because we feed 1100 every day mm-hmm. rice any kind of food educational system, uh, you know uh, uh, stationery stuff right. like that participate in the campaigns we put up go to our website the campaigns that we have right now we have a raya campaign we are wanting to feed 450 families you know meal rice cooking oil because expenses are up. Right. so go to the website sponsor a families buy more than one buy 100 meals let it be an amazing amazing uh, you know raya for them follow us on social media above all be an ambassador come be part of the journey be part of the dream and let's make it work together wonderful and before we wrap this conversation up would you all have a final message for us our 25th anniversary mm-hmm. 25 years we've seen about 13000 kids come through i would say buy a table <laughs> <laughs> you know buy more than a table mm-hmm. Uh, you know come and support us in the various programs that are leading up to the 25th anniversary let it be so successful that we inspire kids for the next 25 years things are getting challenging but let us not let them fall through another crack and on that note reverend alicia petrina thank you so much for joining me today thank, thank you. you thank you thank you I was speaking to the co-founders of the Work at Dignity for Children Foundation, Reverend Elisha Sadvinder and Patrina Shi. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan and this has been Good Things, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.